Hello and welcome to the KBHH podcast, where we are looking at doing things differently in the equine industry. From new technologies to equine behaviour to well-being within equine practice, we've got something for you. So sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the show. Nicola, let's start with you. So I'm Nicola Berryman. I work for Red Wings Horse Sanctuary. I'm a welfare veterinary surgeon for them. I've been there 11 years now. My main area is interest, obviously, education, welfare. So I do all the RSPCA welfare work. I'm also a very big fan of internal medicine and geriatric medicine. Lots of geriatrics at Red Wings. Um, and Malcolm, how about you? I am a practicing horse vet. I've been in first opinion ambulatory equine practice for just coming up 30 years. I really enjoy just the wide variety of that. And I'm currently also the president of the British Veterinary Association. And I guess through both of those, just really interested in people and how we can change animal welfare through thinking about people. Which is the topic of today's conversation. What a lovely segue. It's almost like you planned it, Malcolm. So we are going to be talking about changing attitudes. This whole podcast series is about doing things differently. And we're really looking forward to digging into that today. One of the topics we are going to be talking about is the relationships with the traveller community and welfare of animals associated with that. Malcolm, do you want to just touch on how this came to be an area of interest for you? Yeah, I think when you say traveller community, we probably mean quite a diverse range of different people and they might identify as gypsy, Romany travellers. And within travellers, there are many different groups from different areas of the UK and further afield. And then we also have these peri-urban horse owners who may not identify as either, but may keep their horses in a similar way. And I have quite a few clients who are from the Irish traveller community And they are people for whom their horses are incredibly important to them. They're a really important part of their culture. Historically, as vet, I don't think we've engaged with them very well. And it really interested me how to do that. And I, I'm going to be honest, I haven't always dealt with clients from these backgrounds as well as I should. And then over the last few years, I've really got more interested in it. And all the time, I've both learned more. And also just been more inspired by working with them about how they do look after their animals and what we as vets can do. And how about you, Nicola? You're obviously working in a welfare-centric environment. How did you become interested in engaging with communities with regard to horse ownership and also the welfare angle of things? I think it because kind of came about the nature of my job so I started Red Wings say 11 years ago straight after qualifying from university I think I'd seen some of the aspects of welfare doing EMS etc but was really passionate about going into welfare be it small animal or equine but blended the two then coming into the role we obviously have an education team and campaigns team as part of Red Wings and I sort of worked alongside them and just learned more and more about, say, human behaviour change and working with different communities throughout time. And I think my natural interest has grown as time has gone on. And I think I'm quite a privileged position that I do have a lot of exposure to sort of the travelling community as a client base. Obviously, not necessarily my clients, but be that in a welfare area or just educational events or just general people in our community. So I think by having that exposure and experience and getting good response it's just naturally like that area has grown of interest to me and something I enjoy. 
Yeah, you use that that phrase human behavioral change, which I think is such an important thing. And I wish it had featured when I was a, a new grad vet and, and a student. And, and Malcolm, I just want to come back to what you said. You said the word should. You know, you, you said, oh, I probably should have maybe dealt dealt or communicated or built relationships differently with some of these client types. So I wonder if you could reflect personally on that with the lens of human behavioural change. And then I'd like Nicola to expand a little bit on what that means in a veterinary context when we talk about human behavioural change. Yeah, I think if we think about it through the lens of human behavioural change, typically as vets, we think of ourselves as broken animal fixers. But if we think about it through the lens of trying to help this really large group of horses owned by a large group of people for whom horses are incredibly important, then if we think of ourselves as human behaviour influencers, then that's a much more useful way to think about it and supporting and how we can do that. A lot of that is about breaking down preconceived ideas as to what we think we're going to come across. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with what Malcolm said about, you know, we're not just here to fix animals. And I think when I qualified, particularly, I was quite apprehensive about dealing with owners. I mean, I don't think we have the best education in communicating with people. And, you know, you see the animal in front of you, you try and fix that. And that's what you deal with. But a sort of natural progression of my career now, what I really love about my job is that communication aspect and having that conversation with someone and seeing that a small bit of information I can give someone and it's something that may seem really insignificant to me as a bit of knowledge, something tiny that's just gone from my brain makes a huge impact on them and then a huge impact on their animal. Malcolm, you mentioned the word preconceptions there. Can you tell us a little bit about what the preconceptions are commonly held in the veterinary community? I think if we think about society as wider, there is a lot of preconceptions about these communities, which probably come down to prejudice and discrimination, if we're really honest about it. It is important to recognise that sometimes if you work with people from different backgrounds, you can find yourself in a position where it can feel intimidating. If you're used to dealing with dressage clients to suddenly end up with a group of 15 people from an Irish traveller background crowding around while you scan their mare can feel an intimidating experience. But again, we just have to try to get away from our preconceived ideas about it. And I think what's incredibly important for the vet profession is to look at this paper, which Marie Rowland just published this year, looking at the welfare of animals owned by travellers and seeing that actually the welfare of these animals is really pretty good. And our preconceived ideas that all traveller horses and other animals have poor welfare is simply not held up in that case. And I can also vouch for that on a lived experience because I used to keep my ex-racehorse with a peri-urban travelling community setup that actually owned a livery yard. And building our relationship was tricky because we were both almost speaking different languages when we were coming to our expectations of what we expected as me as a client and a, and a horse owner and, and him and his family as the as the kind of the service providers. But it was an incredible relationship. His team looked after my horse better than most people have. It was actually a really incredible learning opportunity as well for, for me. And I must say that I probably wouldn't have gone and taken that opportunity if I hadn't learned about human behavioural change when I was working at the Brook Action for Working Horses and Donkeys. Because when we're talking about these different communities who may live in a different way, have cultural differences, lived experience, what I realised is that there were 
there were three experts in the room or in the field or out on the desert when I when I was there. There was the the horses or the mules. There was the owner. Uh, and then there was me and there were the power professionals and everyone had something to offer. And I had so much to learn. And actually, you know, the whole gold standard thing, I don't even use the phrase anymore. So, you know, I, I must say personally, it's really great to see that report come out. I, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, definitely. I, I was wondering about human behavior changes sort of associated with changes in viewpoints and how we view society and other people as well, and, and sort of acknowledging that difference is perhaps the, and, and the need for understanding, empathy, communication are all the kind of first steps towards creating that positive change. I know one of my first experiences was having a client from the traveling community who had gone out there as a fresh-faced new grad dealt with his horse. I said, I've written everything down for you. It's on the label. So just give it this, 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 and this. And he said, can I give it the whole lot? And I said, no, I just give it the amount I've written down. And he just looked at me and said, well, I can't read. Can I love? And I was like, okay. And I thought that never even crossed my mind that that would be a, an issue for him. And it was the first time as a qualified vet that I took a step back and thought, I have gone in there with, with my own blind spots. It was a massive blind spot and it was my first experience of that. And I was just wondering if the two of you could talk about any experiences you've had and how your own views have changed over time and and some of the experiences you've had, which have led you to A, be able to understand how you deal with people, but also how to create the change that, that we are after as a veterinary profession, perhaps. Yeah, that's a really clear one to me. I see that all the time in my own work but something that again I was not aware of as a new graduate and it's something I tell all our students that come through our doors about it's not even just the traveling community there's you know a massive subsection of society who don't have the same literacy as ours they don't have access to the internet they don't have access to various forms of media and I think we're quite naive by not realizing that and that we have to change our communication to different subsets. I often try and say to students, even something as simple as saying, oh, give that twice a day or thrice or three times a day, that's a numerical value. And again, you you learn numeracy at school when you're little, you learn twice, three times, etc. So something I do, which it might sound condescending, but it really isn't um, when someone can't read or write, I'll say, yeah, give it twice a day, give it when you have breakfast and when you have dinner. Something really simple. So breaking things down so people really understand or Give it when you have breakfast and before you go to bed. But yeah, that's a massive area that I had to deal with and learn about myself. And yet that has such a simple and effective impact on on compliance, on trust. That's such a wonderful gateway to also a a good relationship and compliance. And I think also not doing it in a way where you're kind of making anyone feel embarrassed about that. I do find a lot of the traveling community are very open. They say, as you said, not being funny, I can't spell I can't write I can't sign my name they're very open about it but equally there would be this embarrassment potentially as connected to it so if you just go in and have these multi different ways of communicating something so yes write it down yes write on the box do our labeling as we should do but also verbally communicate it show someone what they should be doing show them how much of a syringe to use show them how much of a sachet to empty out all those kind of things find a black marker pen on syringes is a very good adjunct (laughs) Malcolm how about you Yeah, I'm going to share a couple of stories with you. One of them is that when working with travellers, I do a lot of scanning mares. And often they bring their kids along as well. It's a bit of a family trip out. 
And it is so much fun getting the kids involved because if you get them holding the scanner and you teach them about it, again, just as Nicola was saying, teaching people, they're like sponges and horses are so important to them and teach them about scanning and show them the corpus luteum and just talk to them and treat them like all our other clients. All of a sudden, you know, next time the kids come in, they're like, where's the corpus luteum? You know, and they've picked it all up and that if we want to uh, communicate with them, then verbally is really important, but also don't put everybody in one box. When I was at Appleby, I treated a horse for a young lady who brought her horse to see us because it had a wound on its leg. And she was concerned about bringing the horse because of the fear of what might happen with, with the horse. And, you know, are the vets going to be reporting me for what I've done here? I got talking to her and she was riding around bareback as would just be typical at Appleby. And you get chatting about people's horses. And I said, what a beautiful horse. How long have you had him? And it transpired that she also evented him and she got her phone out and she got pictures of riding him around with a hat and a saddle, just as any other horse owner. She also worked in a vet practice and we shouldn't prejudge anybody we have to try to um think about it really broadly and don't put everybody in the same box and but here was somebody who works in a vet practice and yet when she was there as part of a traveler community she was concerned as to how her horse would be perceived and that i thought was incredibly telling the prejudice that they can face from our profession yeah i think people often are afraid to approach the veterinary community be it at appleby or anywhere because they don't feel understood. And I think in taking that time, I think it's definitely something I've learned and I've had the luxury of doing so, of actually understanding the community you're dealing with and understanding their concerns and how they look after their horses. And yes, some people might not agree with how they look after their horses. It doesn't mean you can't understand and empathise and also help educate. My background currently is working with this community. If you put me on a breeding yard or a racing yard, would I have the knowledge? Not necessarily. Would I take time to learn and empathise and understand? Yes, that's the way to help someone. Totally agree with that. And for those listening, you've got lots of people in a Zoom room nodding <laughs> in agreement there, Nicola. Now, look, we, we've brought up Appleby Horse Fair. So none of you want to describe for maybe the listeners out there that haven't been, because it's not something that every vet or vet nurse or veterinary professional would, would have access to or go to. And there's, again, a lot of preconceived ideas about what it is and what it isn't. So Nicola, I don't know if you want to just paint a picture um, for, for us and then let's talk about what we've learned and, and how we're moving forward there as well. I'll start by saying I love Appleby Horse Fair. It's the, probably the highlight of my year. Every year after leaving Appleby Horse Fair, I say, oh, never again. That was hard work. But I get thoroughly more excited as the year goes on because I love it. It's great. It's the biggest horse fair in the whole of Europe, I believe. It's a massive historical background. I think as long as one horse turns up to the fair, it happens every year. And people always type up and go, well, where's the fair? And the whole town is the fair. It's not like something on a field. So it's a pretty um, Cumbrian town. You have this lovely river flowing through the middles in front of the church type thing. And down there you have all the horses being washed in the river. And it's pretty idyllic. It's pretty beautiful. And they're all being washed with fairy liquid and they're having talcum powder or chalk thrown at them to make them as white as possible. And then they're brought up onto what's called the sands. It's the main road through the village or town. And that's where they're bought and sold. Again, I sort of understand all of this. I'm not part of the community, but I'm just merely observer. 
And I watched them being bought and sold, and it's pretty impressive how it's done. Lots of hand slapping going on. So not part of the community, can't tell you all about that, but it's um, a bit of a spectacle. And then you have the other side. So at the top of the fair, you have horses and what's called the flashing lane. That's quite a controversial area. I think either on social media or just generally in the media as such. And the idea is the horses are moved up and down this closed area of road to be shown for sale as well. A few years back, so I've been going for good 10 years now, it definitely was more trotters or young trotters and they were being raced up and down. I wouldn't say it was road racing necessarily, it was quite a short distance, but there were some welfare implications with that um, and things that we helped address. But this year, for example, it was a lot of very beautiful, very well turned out cobs in very lovely harnesses and carriages going up and down at quite a nice pace to be shown off. And then you have your usual trade stands and buying and selling as you would at any horse show, like badminton horse trials and like that. Different things being sold, but very similar aspects. And then you have all your residential fields that everyone's staying, coming to the fair. And I think what's important to note about Abbey Horse Fair, it is people's holiday. That is their one or one of their opportunities a year. They all get together as families and communities and come from all around the country joining up bringing their horses, be that their pet horse, their working horse, horses they're buying or selling, and they come to the fair to have a nice time. People are not coming there for trouble. And for people who might be interested, would would we be welcome there? What's the sort of atmosphere like for people who aren't from necessarily within the community? So there are quite a lot of people that come just for the, for the atmosphere and just to see the horses. And I'm sure you'd be welcome, but part of that is being sensitive about things. And actually, you do have to be a bit open minded and don't go with a sort of closed perspective on what you're expecting to see and how you expect horses to be handled. Nicola was saying it's the largest gathering of gypsies and travellers at a horse fair. I think it may well also be one of the largest horse events in the whole of the UK. This is a large number of people coming together who are really interested and care about horses. And the vets at Appleby are performing some really challenging and interesting roles. And it's largely three things. They're they're three really different roles, the sort of first aid, the animal welfare role and building bridges. Nicola, you can probably tell us more from your longer experience at Appleby about how you work across those three very different roles. Yeah, those, those are our main areas. And I think it's definitely changed over the years. So when I first started going, I would say we were dealing with welfare enforcement. And I think that natural shift has come as welfare standards maybe have improved at the fair. Um, so we would do a lot more of being with the RSPCA and actually stopping people, you know, the welfare compromises and dealing with that more in an um, authoritative type of way alongside that as you say first aid type care we have a hospital type facility in the vicinity of the area we take as much equipment with us as possible and we do see some interesting cases I've had a case of tetanus when I've been there before which is quite unusual I had two horses that had gone head on into each other one of the horses unfortunately had a fractured leg on the floor and the other one was fitting I had to then euthanize the one with a fractured limb and the other one unfortunately passed away it's very much acute medicine you don't know what you're about to deal with you have to be ready and poised to deal with anything which can be very challenging as a vet we see all sorts of things and then as you said the third aspect best at Appleby awards so that's something we started in 2015 and we started out trying to give out awards to try and 
I suppose, demonstrate and highlight the good welfare standards of the fair. And it started off quite small with these tiny little rosettes. And I remember thinking, are people going to be receptive to this? Are they going to find this patronising? You know, who are we to say, obviously, we do have some standing, say this is good welfare, but do they really want us here? Is this something they're interested in? Um, and it kind of snowballed over the years. So, yeah, it's been really well received. I think we've handed out um, over 50 awards since uh, 2015. And it just goes from strength to strength each year. It's lovely to hear that people are engaging with that. And when you're talking to people that they're keen and enthusiastic to be involved with an initiative like that. But can you just tell us a little bit about how you judge that? What sorts of things you're highlighting as good practice? So our tagline is happy, healthy horses, which does kind of encompass the whole aspect of what we're looking at. And we do have, I suppose, assessment forms, but they're not, we don't base that purely on the forms as vets, we kind of already recognise that before we go to the point of judging as such. Um, so for me, I'm looking for predominantly is that interaction between horse and human. And you can just tell that by observing. So I want to see a horse that is you know, obviously in a good body condition score, not overweight and not too skin. Both have welfare compromises associated with those. Um, I want to see that horse is happy. It's interacting well with its owner. It's not looking distressed in any way, be that when it's tied up down by the sands and the owners next to them enjoying conversation with their friends, um, be that up on the flashing lane, they're happy and they're willing to work um, and enjoying what they're doing. And then associated with that, if the horse is harnessed, is it harnessed well? Is everything fitting? Um, has the horse got any obvious signs of clinical illness? So we can see a lot of horses um, a few years ago with flu, et cetera. So we don't want to see anything with any nasal discharges or obvious coughs or obvious rubs from um, their ill-fitting tack, things that aren't fitting well, um, things that haven't been treated or have been treated inappropriately. Um, so it's not so much the scoring system as such when you first start off looking at them. You, we just know, you see it. I think you might realise that this year as well, Malcolm, like you see these horses and it just makes you go, ah, that's a good one. And then you look a bit deeper and you check off all these things and make sure they aren't overweight, make sure they haven't overgrown hooves. And if we do um, start a conversation with someone because we think that horse might fit the standards and actually we do come across something that we're not happy about, be it overgrown hooves or actually I've had some present to me last year. because Some people do actually present to us looking to be judged and they are overweight. We have that conversation. We aren't afraid to shy away from those. And actually people are still quite receptive to that as well to say, actually, this isn't OK. And these are the reasons why. And this, this is how you can change that. That's really, really interesting. And um, yeah, it's great. You can have those um, those challenging conversations as well with regards to with regards to the weight also. It's amazing that kind of evolution of that award, as you've demonstrated, like what what's next in that evolution to kind of bridge those bridge those relationships. In my head, I was thinking, oh, I wonder if you have people from the community as part of your judging panel or are you are you developing anything that's kind of in in co-creation if you like with with community members it'd be lovely to hear kind of what what's next so we have done quite a few things with previous winners I think that's an area definitely probably would be advancing into so we have certain people actually at the fair who always come and find us a gentleman called Lewis I think you might have access to some of his um, recordings he's really on board with what we do so he won a few years ago and Having someone from the community as a spokesperson, it validates what we're saying. Um, you know, we are not part of the community. You need people within the community to say the same thing. Um, we've also made films. I've been away and made quite a few films, actually, with um, Andy. Uh, 
going back and visiting people in their own homes, in their own environment, um, with their own horses, and making educational films demonstrating, again, different subsets of society and how they look after their horses and giving people their own voice through what we do to tell about their own lived experience. So I think that's definitely something we'll continue to explore and get people within the community to push forward what we're doing. Just stepping away from Appleby for a second, Malcolm, what's your sort of thoughts and any advice to people who have had previous negative experiences with traveller and gypsy communities potentially? Because I think you do hear people within the equine veterinary community speaking about the fact that they can be nervous about going into camps, for example. Do you have any sort of messages and thoughts for, for people that have either been in those situations or do feel a little bit unsure and a bit uncertain about starting to, to work within the travel and gypsy communities? I think as vets, we can feel intimidated by quite a lot of situations, especially when we first graduate. What do you do? You have conversations with them and you build up a relationship with them and you start to realise actually where the common ground is and how you can work together. From a vet practice perspective, don't send your new grad into any intimidating situation or potentially intimidating situation. We have to recognise that this may be more challenging for people, but not prejudging. And when Nicola was talking about that terrible accident that she saw at Appleby, what we see in those situations is people saying, well, you know, somebody should be prosecuted for animal welfare issues when it comes from a different community. And we see people discriminating against whole communities saying, well, they, using the word they, shouldn't be allowed to have horses because of things like that. If the same incident happened at a three-day event and two horses collided with each other, people would be saying, well, that's a really tragic event. So we need to be really careful that we don't see things through a different lens just because of who owns the horses. 100% Malcolm, those kinds of things happen at three-day events. They happen at the races. They happen at lots of different sporting events involving horses. They happen in life, in the field, on the road, when you're out hacking. And we don't make the same kinds of prejudgments. It was a complete accident. It was something that couldn't have been avoided. I think actually the, the issue was too many people, too many tourists on the side of the roads, not listening to the rules that you're supposed to stand back to one side and let the horses through. And in that scenario, for me, the traveling community were amazing and they helped me. People that didn't help me and the people that chastised me and shouted at me were the tourists. And people were really angry at me saying, I should have stopped that. I should have done something when I'm trying to help and do my best for the horses. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really important to know it doesn't just happen at Appleby, but people do say because it's a certain community, that's not acceptable. Um, something else that really gets on my goat or grinds my gears about Appleby is everyone criticises in the papers afterwards is the amount of rubbish that's left behind. I've been to many a festival in my time. You can look at the pictures of Glastonbury Festival and after that, it's exactly the same, but it's the way it's reported in the media. It, it, builds prejudice in people and that's all you see you've never had a lived experience within the travel traveling community how do you know any different and then one of the really deepest issues of all of this is the amount of discrimination i think of it as probably unintended and quite low level that we see within the equine veterinary profession and that's reported by vet students on ems 
And it makes me feel cold when I feel, think about, you know, there are vet students or at least one vet student from an Irish traveller background. They shouldn't have to feel, you know, they should be able to be themselves going into practice. They are absolute the future of our profession. And we should absolutely not be perpetuating this prejudice. The next generation of vets are much more interested in social issues and trying to be inclusive. And as a current generation of equine vets, we've got to be a part of that change and facilitating it. And wouldn't it be amazing to see more people from Gypsy Romany traveller backgrounds coming into the vet profession? That's not impossible because it's already happening. And you know what? Some of the people who've had those experiences are some of the best handlers and riders you will ever meet in your life. Um, some of the best people I've seen working in racing yards in particular and with young thoroughbreds, young animals are utterly phenomenal, utterly phenomenal. And I think, Malcolm, you're so right that we should be encouraging people from gypsy travel and remedy backgrounds into the veterinary profession because they have so much to give partly in terms of increasing understanding and and widening our inclusivity, but also just because of the skills, the knowledge and the capacity that people can bring in as incredible equine vets, really. And and making sure that they actually feel welcomed and that this is a place where they could fit in because for people from those communities to have got to the point where they could apply to vet school is a pretty amazing achievement. We need to actually recognise the inequalities in it all and yeah certainly trying to think about how we speak about those communities within the profession i would tend to agree agree with that i think some of the terminology i hear used to describe the traveling community is not acceptable sometimes i'm surprised the people i hear it from and it makes me it makes me wince it's it's not okay and then it's really important that we address this and we shouldn't have EMS students hearing negative language about any subsection of society at all. We don't know their backgrounds. We don't know their own thoughts of things. So I think as sort of older older vets, but, you know, more experienced vets, we shouldn't pass on our own prejudices to the new generation. And we should speak about people kindly. Um, you know, you can say this might be a more concerning situation to go into, but not bring people's ethnicity into it at all. It doesn't need to be brought up. Um, so I think definitely moderating our people's language and also calling people out on their language. And, and let's take this even further. If we are the some of the main professionals who's working with the people in those communities, and it's well documented that this is almost perceived in society as one of the last acceptable forms of racism, we can actually be the people that are allies to those communities and try to build bridges. And I think that's a really important role for us. We, we are in a really privileged position to be able to do that. So you've mentioned a few things here about language changing, about calling things out. What else can our profession kind of be doing? I think it'd be good to see practices embracing their clients from the traveling community somewhat. So the BHS and Beaver do a lot of education and um, castration clinics. Those are a good idea to just open conversations and get exposure to that community. We get a lot of new graduates coming along to those and young vets coming along. Um, I think that's a good way of people getting that exposure to clients in a positive manner. It could be a good way to go along. 
educating yourself just in the travel and lifestyle such reading about the traveling community reading the different types of um, subsections of the traveling community and what they do and what their belief systems are don't watch sort of sensationalized tv shows about travelers don't watch those they're not true um go and watch our campaign films have a look at those and see these voices please go and have a look at those they're all available on youtube i'm sure the link can be added at some point um watch these and just see what kind of people are out there and then try and make those connections happen and have those conversations i think once people trust you and you trust them and you just talk to someone as an equal and someone's trying to gain the information from you and you are genuinely interested in someone it's great i had a lovely time and people are really receptive to me and yeah they they, they do what what i ask them to do and that helps the horses I love that phrase, Nicola, being genuinely interested in someone. Mm-hmm. If you can actually do take one thing away, if you if you do that, you can't really go wrong, right, Malcolm? Definitely. I think Nicola summed it up perfectly. Well, I think that is a wonderful place to conclude this this podcast. I have a feeling this is going to cause, in a good way, a lot of conversation, a lot of reflection and a lot of thought. So, you know, if you're listening to this, please do drop us a line and, and engage as well with, with the BVA and with Red Wings and the other animal welfare organisations out there. And there's some brilliant other conferences as well, aren't there? Like Animal Human Behavioural Change Conference. There's loads of other places you can start to, to build your knowledge as well. So a huge thank you to both Nicola and Malcolm. We will be including links to things that have been referenced as well in the show notes. What an amazing show. Many thanks to today's guests. If you want more information, have a look at the show notes or drop us a line at kbhhuk at msd.com.